I'm Matana DeWitt, joined by Dr. Drew Johnson. Welcome to Discover Your Roots, a podcast that will give you tools for understanding and applying the wisdom of the Bible in your own context. In this season, The Problem of Good and Evil, we're digging into the topic of good and evil, finding new and maybe unexpected ways to think about it and respond to it. Let's get started. In the episodes of season two, The Problem of Good and Evil, we discuss some heavy topics and instances of evil that can be disturbing, especially for those who've experienced related trauma. We advise caution among listeners. If you find that you need help or support as a result of listening to this podcast, please consult the resources listed in the show notes. All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode one of Discover Your Roots, season two. I'm so excited to be back with Dr. Drew Johnson, um, who is going to open up a whole new topic for us. I hope you guys enjoyed the first season. Um, we're really, really excited. And maybe excited is the wrong word, but <laughs> we're, we're looking forward to opening up a really important topic um, about good and evil. Um, this is something that hits very deep with, I think, every person on just a human level. But I don't know if we as Christians are always equipped to know how to think about it, to know how to talk about it, to know how to build theology around it. So Mm. uh, we're just going to dive really deep into this topic. Um, But first, Drew, how are you doing? Excellent. Warm. It's hot here in Texas. (laughs) It is hot. (laughs) So enjoying that. Loving that. Awesome. Cool. Well, let's just dive right in. Um, Our topic today is really just opening up uh, what is evil? How do we think about it? How do we talk about it? And to kind of add some color and texture to the topic before we just jump into it from a theoretical perspective, um, can you give us an example of maybe um, something from culture, something that's a little bit tangible that we can grasp, um, how society thinks about evil, how we think about evil, um, what influences our perspective on evil, and then also like does that change over time? Yeah, I think uh, I, I would I would say, and maybe this is a little too bold of a claim, but I, I would say that almost everything we think about evil is informed by the way culture has has taught us. Our, our cultural imagination that's been developed, especially as Americans in the West, through books, TV, Hollywood, etc. Um, for me, I, re- I mean, it's been a noticeable shift. I'm 47 years old, so I grew up in the 70s and 80s mostly. And I just remember in the 80s, there was a, a rage um, for these horror movies that were coming out that were getting scarier and scarier. There was the, you know, the, the Night of the Living Dead, which was this cheap kind of snuffy film, which has now been, you know, commercialized and made into an industrial complex. But if you watch that original film, I mean, it was kind of terrifying or psycho and but in a kind of a psychological way or birds you know those were the terrifying movies in the 60s and 70s um and then when i was a kid in the 80s i mean it was you know freddy krueger texas chainsaw massacre nightmare in elm street these are all when i was in middle school so of course i watched every single one and the vcr had just come out right so now you could go to a store which i remember when the vcr came out that was so exciting you could go to a store and just get the movie and watch you didn't have to wait for it to come on tv um, and what's really struck me as somebody in my late 40s now is that what used to terrify both children and adults alike, my kids look at those films, not that they're watching these films. My son has watched like a Friday the 13th and, and, a, and a Freddy Krueger, and he's just like, they are so ridiculous. They're like, he's like, yeah, I laughed through the whole thing. 
Um, and so what used to be blood curdling and terrifying and, you know, parents covering their children's eyes or, or, you know, forbidding them to see these things are now considered kind of innocuous, inane, you know, like, oh, they're cute, but they're not actually terrifying. Um, and of course, the, the horror industry has kind of developed significantly in, in all kinds of ways. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's even thinking about like examples that of, you know, good and evil that I've seen, you know, whenever I was younger, i I watched the the Lord of the Rings series. The also the Chronicles of Narnia was really big whenever I was a kid, and it's interesting to see you know evil personified and good personified, and then they're pitted against each other in a battle. And recently, um, the Stranger Things season four came out at the time that we're recording this podcast. That happened. Um, Stranger Things actually came out for the first time whenever I was in college, and it was this like big thing on campus. Everybody was watching it. There were watch parties. It was just a really big thing. And it was interesting to see, especially in the season four. I've noticed is it's less of like evil personified and good personified. It's more just evil personified and then pit against humans. The humans are doing the fighting against the evil, not like forces of good necessarily. It's really interesting to me. What do you what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I've only seen the first three seasons. E- even the fact that you had watch parties at a Christian college <laughs> in the eighties that would have been forbidden. Like it would have been, we do not watch these movies. We do not participate in this kind of thing. But yeah, even Stranger Things, the kind of, I think it's called the Upside Down World, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Uh, that. Even that notion is already developing a view, like a world in which everything is bad, everything is wrong. You're not quite sure what the source of it is. Maybe they sussed this out in uh, or season four. But um, that there is a kind of normal world, and then there's this flip side. Uh, it's already developing notions of evil. Uh, and like you said, it was interesting. I hadn't thought of it until you said it, that um, it was really humans that were tasked with fighting it rather than God or gods or something else. Yeah. Hmm. Super interesting. Well, thank you for that kind of tangible example. What, in your experience, um, is the range of ways that people define evil? Um, well, what I used to ask this question and when I used to teach philosophy of religion at a public university. I'd say, what do you think evil means? And uh, n- number one you know, answer is, well, like Hitler. You know? So that's an easy go-to. Hitler takes the, takes the fall for all things evil. Uh, it is notable that nobody is named Adolf after 1945 in Germany. Uh, even to this day, have you met anybody named Adolf? Like it's a, you know, like uh, his his reach and power and extent is pretty uh, pretty brutal. But then you think like, well, what is it about Adolf Hitler that people uh, think is evil? And we'll talk about that in future episodes. Um, some people might use it in the sense just to mean somebody acting wickedly or badly. You know, like that's evil. That's messed up. You know, they could mean it that way. Like. You shouldn't be treating somebody that way. Um, an evil girlfriend or boyfriend is one of that came to my <laughs> mind when I was thinking about this. Um, also, I think people think of evil as the opposite of good, and therefore it's irredeemable. If something just is evil, there's really not much more to say. You just have to talk about, well, what are we going to do now that there's this evil thing that we have to deal with? More of a focus on eradicating the evil rather than redeeming the yeah. evil. And yeah. we'll have to talk about why that's problematic mm. uh, as well uh, from a biblical, biblical view, but also just a humanitarian view. Mm. Um, but also, I think if you think about, well, how does evil exist in its most pure form, you know, outside of Hitler, um, uh, I think people think of satanic ideas as evil, satanic groups, Satan himself, and we'll have to talk about why Satan is a title, not, a, not an actual name of any entity. 
uh, or demonic evil. You know, we say something's demonic in the sense that we we mean there there's these spiritual beings that just exist in this purely evil state. Uh, the biblical authors complicate all of those definitions, so they they have something pretty they have pretty thick notions of evil that they're using, but it's dare to say very different from the way we think of evil, mm-hmm. even though it overlaps with many of our notions of evil. They're doing something uh, better, I think, than mm. the way we think of evil. Well, interesting. Well, stay tuned, everyone. There's going to be a lot more on that soon. Um, why do we believe so many different things about evil? Like, where do these ideas come from? Well, okay, if you're a Christian, let's just name the big matzo ball in the room, uh, church culture, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you say, well, where does church culture get it? Well, I would love to say, well, church cultures get all of their ideas straight out of scripture, developed thickly, <laughs> you know. But yeah, church cultures are often participating in normal cultures, and so they're going to get their ideas of good and evil from the culture as well. And so this is why what we're doing is so important, is kind of saying, yes, of course, we have our own traditions and cultures that we approach the text with, but let's try and hear the text as the primary voice in the conversation, and then we can think about how that might have um, something to say about the way that our culture thinks of evil. So books, I mean, if you're reading books anymore, <laughs> books have their own views <laughs> of, good, of good and evil. Yeah, those all count. Um, TV shows like Stranger, I mean, like every, it seems like everything today is exploring the nature of good and evil either within humans. So thinking of Breaking Bad as an example of somebody who's having a fight within himself as good, the wrestling with good and evil. Um, or forces of good and evil, like Star Wars, like these pitting these forces against each other. So it kind of flows throughout all cultural conversations everywhere in the world. And uh, so everybody is conceptualizing good and evil. And I would just like to add, the biblical authors are also conceptualizing good and evil. And they have a very standard concept that they're working with uh, that I think is worth giving a shake. Um, Now, I would also say people have dealt with uh, thinking about what evil is in various ways in the Christian tradition. So you have somebody like Augustine who, you know, you're talking the 400s, who is uh, already talking kind of within a, a Greek notion of, well, evil, he separates out very carefully, which I think this is a good biblical move. He separates out the thing itself from the intentions of the thing. So Drew as a person from the intentions of Drew. And he says like, look, evil is the lack of good. So he kind of wants to spin the spin the record the other way, uh, and say, evil shouldn't be the focus. It's that good is the focus. Everything is aimed at good, but it's just the lack of good that we call evil or bad. And I think he's on the right track. Uh, I don't think he goes far enough into the biblical author's view. Like he doesn't get the whole thing, but he's making the right kind of move here. Um, and we'll talk about why it's not far enough uh, in future episodes. Um, and then we have people who think of evil like a spiritual substance, like Hitler just is evil. So like whatever it is that Hitler is, his being itself is evil. So like a thing. Um, and then you also have lots of very ancient traditions going back to um, Persia, Zoroastrian traditions, um, that see evil as balanced by good. And so you can see this in kind of that Central and East Asian view that there's the forces of good and the forces of evil, and they're constantly pitted against each other. Um, now, I know a lot of people are hearing that going like, wait, I thought that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, so we'll talk about why it's not the forces of good against the forces of evil, or at least that's not the only part of it. Um, that's a, that's a, what do you call that? A sub point. There's a name for this. That's a lesser point to a greater point that they're trying to make. Um, 
I think the main conceptual problem we're going to have as we approach Scripture, though, is that biblical authors don't think of good and evil like a light switch. Something is either good or it's evil. Uh, they have a more nuanced view like they do with most things. So good and evil can coexist together because of the way they conceptualize it, but we'll have to talk about why that's the case. The other, the, the flip side, sorry, this answer is getting long, but it's one other thing that's really important about thinking about and, and approaching evil. When we get to the Hebrew Bible and then what the New Testament just takes the Hebrew ideas and moves them, it says basically the same kinds of things. The term evil is often referring to this word ra, R-A, the way we would transliterate it. Um, and ra can mean something from unpleasant, undesirable, uh, unprosperous, uh, it can mean bad, as in something is worse than better. Uh, and it can also mean wicked. It can mean disaster, calamity, um, the worst things possible, um, just absolute destruction. It can refer to a lot of things. And so they use – so, so notice all of those different synonyms I just used in English, and we're used to using all those synonyms in English. And your Bible translators also use all of those synonyms, but we need to be aware that under those synonyms, the Hebrew authors are using one word to talk about all of these things. So they have quite an expansive use of this one word that they think all fits within their one concept of why things are bad or wicked or evil or disastrous. And we tend to kind of separate it out of like, this is an unfortunate thing. This is an evil thing. Right. This is a bad, yeah, it's interesting. Which I, I would say, you know, the translators are, are actually doing a little conceptual analysis. So when they translate the word disaster in one instance, but they translate it as bad or wicked in another instance, which well, they wouldn't usually translate it wicked, but uh, like, or evil. Um, what they're doing is trying to say, this is the, the shade of meaning of how you should be reading this word in this context. Uh, and we'll talk about why they do that in, in certain circumstances, why they break it out that way. Mm. So it sounds like that, from what you're saying, that the biblical authors have a very nuanced, layered, probably deeper view of good and evil than we do. And As usual. As you, of course. With everything. That's going to be my standard line. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, why is it that we as Christians often hold on to views about evil that aren't scriptural whenever they're not scriptural? Um, well, I mean, there's a very simple answer to that. Um, we're not teaching what scripture is actually doing uh, in, in all cases. Culture has a powerful formative effect on us. You can try and fight culture, but um, if if people are raised with a particular concept of evil, they're going to stick with that. Like as whatever you're taught as a child, that's what you're going to stick with for most of your life until you do kind of deep dives and go like, oh, wait, I can't think of it that way anymore because it's not quite correct. Um, and I think the, the church often reinforces these with our language. Christianese is all like we can blame all the typical bad guys. Christianese where people just use terms without actually saying what they mean. And so they they the terms themselves lose meaning. So think of grace, glory, holy, good, evil, all of these terms uh, kind of in the in the preached mode or the prayer mode or the conversational mode. Unless you say like, well, wait, what do you, what exactly do you mean? Why is that evil? Like, how does that work? Then, um, then you use the terms, but the, the terms steadily use meaning as people just continue using them without knowing what they're talking about. So, mm. which we're all guilty of this. Yeah. So what does scripture say about good and evil? Obviously, there's a lot, lot to unpack here, and we'll be talking about this basically throughout the entire season. But can you kind of give us an overview? Yeah, so um, 
I'm going to make basically four claims here that I think are rather uncontroversial from like a biblical perspective, but maybe unconventional for a lot of people. Um, and so the first one is is pretty simple, uh, and I have to credit uh, the scholar, the the Old Testament scholar Al Walters, who has made this strong uh, a strong version of this claim. But it's essentially that creation is structurally good. Matana is good. Drew is good. Like when God looks at us as creatures, as created beings, we're good. Um, but good things can be turned towards evil. And and when I say turn towards evil, even that turn of phrase. Sorry, that was a bad pun. Um, even that phrase itself already has like a certain usage in our culture. So you might think of like Luke Skywalker being turned towards the dark side or something. So in some way, yeah, something like that is going on. But we really mean uh, things can be twisted, corrupted uh, from the way that they were intended to be. So good can be turned from evil. And that's really un- important to understand. Um and the reason that's important to understand is because if something is just evil, as we discussed earlier, like your options are limited. Like you either have to tolerate it or you have to destroy it or something like that. Um, but if something is structurally good, like God looks at all of his creation from water to bodies to body, human body cells to investment banks. He looks at all of these things that, to even payday check cashing loan centers. And says, like, look, these are actually, they can be fundamentally good things, but they can be turned towards some bad purpose. Um, that also is the basis for what we call redemption, that they can be redeemed. Like, uh, nothing can be redeemed unless it can be turned uh, away, which means there has to be some goodness to it in the first place. So, as soon as we're talking about evil, we're actually talking about the biblical author's notions of good. Wow. How's that different from the way we think about evil, right, like, today? And then, as Christians, as we were talking about, like, what is... Um, how does that kind of diverge from our typical popular thinking about evil? Um, well, I think, well, today, let's just be honest. Okay, things have changed in the last few years. Um, so if you think about if you're on social media or not, you've probably heard about calling people out, canceling them. Like, really, there's just almost this insane need to mark people as bad uh, or evil, you could say, and then shoot them down and X them out. And I mean, it really is just saying like, nope, that's an irredeemable person. They're nothing they say, you know, they said this one thing, nothing they say from this point on can have any value whatsoever. So really we kind of have this good and this flat, not very helpful sense of good and evil right now. And also on the flip side, good. Oh, this person supports the right thing. So I'm just going to like, whatever they say, we're going to amplify that. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. In fact, a, a, a colleague of mine, Esau McCauley, who's been writing on black biblical scholarship, has said, like, if you want to take black biblical scholars seriously, critique their work. Don't just amplify anybody's voice, but actually assess them and, and amplify what you think is good, but critique what you think is not good, right? So I think that the the social moment that we're in right now, where it's like target who is bad and then shoot them down all day long, um, that's pretty unhelpful, and that has definitely bled into the church. On the church's side, over the last couple of decades, merely teaching that doing X, dancing, you know, uh, smoking, dancing, or cavorting with those who do, right? Those are evil things. Doesn't really help you think through because what is every teenager asking? Well, why? Mm-hmm. Why? Why exactly are those evil? Um, and I think the biblical authors actually have a pretty good story to say why drinking alcohol isn't necessarily evil. But smoking weed, 
I think they would say, yep, there's not a good version of smoking weed out there. Um, and I think they actually have a conceptual analysis of drunkenness and highness that we can put those things in categories. In. And again, we're not labeling smoking weed or edible weeds or however you, however you take your weeds these days. Um, <laughs> We're not advocating, uh, we're not saying, well, it's evil, therefore don't ever do it. Like, I think they're asking you to rethink the topic as because weed is it right now. I'm in New Jersey, so everything's weed, weed, weed right now. <laughs> um, but whatever the next thing over the horizon is has to be thought through as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this merely labeling as good and evil is not helpful for anybody. And on the flip side, just labeling things as good is not, is not helpful either. Why is it good? What, what purpose does it aim at? Mm, that makes sense. And what's claim number two? Oh, uh, claim number two is that, um, and this is going to be a hard pill to swallow, is Uh that (laughs) God uses evil towards his purposes sometimes. Now, that sounds sounds way harder than it actually is, I think. It is still a difficult thing that you have to wrestle with in Scripture, but it's that God brings evil upon people. And in future episodes, we'll actually look specifically at where God is bringing evil. And I was just with some scholars a couple weeks ago, and... Uh, they were theologians, so not not necessarily biblical scholars, but I, I casually threw this out because I thought they were theologians and they could handle it. <laughs> and they immediately like, well, where? Sh- show me verses. Like, where is this going? You know, and they wanted me to do like a full two-hour lecture right there on how this is happening. So even for them, it was a bit too jarring because they're like, well, no, God allows. I'm like, no, 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 it, it, it goes stronger than that. The, like the biblical authors are okay talking about God, uh, allowing, employing, using evil, uh, but evil's not a thing. It's a way that uh, it's a way that uh, reality can exist. And so it will all make sense, and I think everybody will go, oh, yeah, okay. It, it's okay that God actually can use evil at, at certain points, uh, and we probably would want him to, um, but you got to think through it alongside the biblical authors to hear how they're, they're laying mm, this out. Okay. They're not disturbed by this at all. And we're going to be talking about that more in future yes, episodes. Yes, future episodes. Right? Okay. Yeah, so cool. teaser. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay, and um, so I'm sure you'll explain why why this happens, you know, um, why God chooses to do evil, as we talked about in future episodes. Um, but since those episodes are a little bit far away from us, and hopefully not, hopefully everyone's going to binge this, right? Right. But can you give us a little bit of a teaser um, about why? You want how? an example right now right on the now. spot? Yeah. Uh, so my go-to example, by the way, when I'm reading through the Bible with my classes or with parishioners or anybody, I it happens quite a bit in the Bible, but I don't raise it until the end of Exodus because I figure by that time they've seen enough bizarre stuff. You know, they're already freaked out enough by some of the things going on in the text. Um so by Exodus, after you're on Mount Sinai, you're like, okay, now we need to talk about what the text says here. So Moses is up on the mountain. The people at the base of the mountain have made a golden calf, and they are having an orgiastic uh, worship service to it, right? Um, which Paul talks about, you know, this is why thousands of them died in that one day is because they had this big orgy to the golden calf. Okay. Moses is up on the mountain, right? And God is telling Moses, hey, you need to go down because some, some stuff's going on down there, right? Um, and uh, God basically says, all right, his anger grows hot at what the people are doing because he just brought them across the Red Sea and this is how they're reacting. And he basically says, let me at them. Let me kill them all and start over with you, Moses, right? So this is very strong language of anger. Um, and Moses responds... Please, you know, I'm going to kill them all because of the evil they have done. Moses responds, 
please relent from this evil that you're planning on on the people of Israel. And, and then he appeals, you know, strangely to like, what will all the other people say that, you know, that you're God that brought them out of Egypt and then killed them all out in the desert? And then the narrator says, so Yahweh relented from the evil that he planned on bringing on the people. Uh, now, if you look at an English translation, it's almost surely going to say yeah, God or the Lord relented from the disaster he was going to bring upon the people. So there's an example of where they're using a different synonym or a different word, actually, with a different concept uh, to kind of translate away what the text is saying. Because they know if, if, if you knew that he, he was relating the people's evil to the evil that God was planning on bringing on them, that would be problematic for a lot of people, not because of what the biblical authors are saying, but because of our concepts of evil uh, that have been developed, you know, over over a thousand years plus, um, so it's our cultural concepts that it would interrupt us from hearing what's going on there. Mm. Um, I have a question, kind of on that example as well. So I've heard it said by in certain interpretations of that passage that God was actually teaching teaching Moses how to appeal to God, um, and maybe God was not actually planning on fully destroying everyone. What is, okay. does that like complicate things or? I mean, when people, well, I would say yes, that can, that can be true. And that actually sounds completely reasonable to me from everything I know in the Torah. Um, it doesn't get you out of the other 17 times that Yahweh does, like where he doesn't relent mm -hmm. from it, he actually com, uh, commits evil. Uh, and so even in Amos, where Amos the prophet says, does evil befall a city unless Yahweh has done it. And Amos is talking about Israelite cities, not, mm. not uh, other cities, right? So, um, so yeah, this is, a, this is a drumbeat of description of God. So the biblical authors, again, are not uncomfortable at all describing God this way. Mm. But again, they don't mean by evil what most of us will hear, which is why translators translate it as disaster instead, which is, I think that's a perfectly good translation. Like disaster actually captures what is being described in that instance. Okay. So these are different shades of meaning of the same word. Cool. So when it comes to evil, God determines something is evil and, and needs to be destroyed. Therefore, he employs evil in the destruction of that evil thing. Does that mean that once something's evil, it's just permanently evil and nothing can be done? Uh, yeah, so throughout Scripture, and this is Old and New Testament, people focus on the Old Testament here, but this is this is how Jesus conceptualizes it as well. Um, there is an opportunity to turn. This the, we translate this word as repent often, but there's there's no real word for repent in the way we mean it uh, today. It's the word is turn, literally, like I turned left at the light, uh, shuv uh, or yeshav, and so. There's all of this language of turn from, turn from, turn, turn. And it's, you know, some people have pointed out it physically means turn away from the altars from those other gods and turn physically back to the altar of Yahweh uh, and worship him alone. Um, so there's all of these opportunities. Pharaoh, even in Egypt, is given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And we'll talk about that in future episodes as well. Um, in the hopes that he will turn from this decision that he has set out. I don't know Yahweh. I'm not going to listen to his voice. I will not let the people go. Um, and he does turn, but then he returns to his previous uh, anger against uh, the people of Israel. So you see these dramatic plays of, of God giving uh, time after time after time a way out. Um, but there is this tipping point where God does say, 
there there is going to come a time later in the Old Testament. It's called the day of Yahweh. That day, Jesus talks about it as the day of resurrection when he's going to resurrect the good and the wicked, and he's going to judge them on that day. There's a day that's coming where basically, uh, as Paul says, the times of ignorance God is going to be done overlooking. Um, so yes, uh, kind of, I feel like anybody who's had kids or been a kid knows exactly the sentiment with their parent, right? Like you, you look, overlook, overlook, overlook. Okay, you've you've done poke the bear. You've gone too far, <laughs> and this is it. Judgment is coming. The prophets mm-hmm. speak in a very similar way, including Jesus speaks mm-hmm. in a very similar way about God's uh, judgments. Interesting. Awesome. So what is what is claim number three and two? You've talked. Sorry, not three and two. Three and four. <laughs> Going back yeah. here, you talked about one and two. What is what's the other claims? Uh, yeah, and so I'm going to play with the language here, but uh, evil is not the final state, right? So the whole of Scripture, from the beginning to the, uh, from the beginning up until Revelation, is looking forward to this renewal of the heavens and the earth, uh, which will have to go through this time of judgment as well. So there's kind of this constant background assumption that um, this is not the way the world's supposed to be, uh, and. So when I look at the rugs on this wall or this light, right, I just understand like this is a way that the world can be, that it's broken, usable. We can still have joy, patience, love, community, et cetera. But this is not the final state of reality. Um, and so when we talk about evil, the, 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 the idea that something can be good but turned or corrupted in some way. Again, Hitler, you can think of him as a, as a corrupted person. Drew, you can think of me as a corrupted person, like functionally good or, you know, good but not doing everything the way I'm supposed to be, um, that it's not imagined that I'm just a better version of Drew. It's actually like a full renewal uh, of and a reorientation of every atom cell, whatever, you know, whatever metaphysical device you want to use here, um, that we are fully going to be made good. And this is what Paul gets at is, I can't even describe to you what this is like, but you, you can uh, conceive of it, but you can't comprehend in your mind what everything will look like when it's made new again. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that was number three. So evil is not the final state of creation. Um, and that redemption essentially in scripture is, is describing this turn from things that are oriented away from God towards disaster and calamity uh, to be now in now. I mean, the, the language in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well is into the empire or the kingdom of God, that it's come under the reign of the king and, and we follow his instruction and we uh, go out together with him. Uh, as as one group of people who are governed by the Prince of Peace. And so that's both the final state, but it's also a, a description of what redemption ultimately looks like of individuals and communities and eventually all of creation. Mm-hmm. So this is so we're talking about evil, but we're really talking about creation. We're talking about the new heavens, new earth. We're talking about what does it look like now before we get to the new heavens, new earth. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. I think a hopeful picture. I think I almost just want to kind of close there on this hopeful note um, in a topic that really is difficult to talk about, um, but deeply meaningful. So uh, thank you for that. Before we close this episode, I'm wondering if you could give us um, just a little overview of what the rest of the season will address. Oh, yeah. So we have a lot. Uh, you're like, how, how much can you do on evil? Turns out there's a lot, right? Uh, Imagine that. Yeah. So in coming episodes, we are uh, going to try to get our own thinking on this topic straightened out, which is basically by just going through lots of instances in Scripture, which I think is a good practice in itself. Um, 
why we have to start thinking about like why evil as its own thing doesn't exist. It's actually an orientation. It's a it's a way that things can be, but it's not like a thing in and of itself. And that's really important for thinking about how the biblical authors think about evil. Um, where we've gotten our current ideas of evil, which we've already kind of gotten a taste of today, but we'll have to talk more about that. Um, why are people so afraid of evil? Like, uh, like why is this why is this so scary uh, to many of us? Um, why does God do evil to people? Not just relent from it, but He actually pulls the trigger sometimes, and He allows and, and causes evil to happen. Um, what is good? Like, okay, so here's evil. Evil's not the opposite of good, but good has uh, its own meaning in which evil acts as a kind of a, not even a counterweight, but as a, a, a function of good itself. Um, but they're not exact opposites. So I think we can, we'll, we'll have that one episode where we talk about horror movies a little bit more, because I wanted to, and, and television shows. <laughs> um, but why do the biblical authors depict evil so differently? And in some cases, I think there are some television shows that actually do a really good job of exploring evil the way the biblical authors are dealing with it. Um, and then also, uh, how do we confront evil? I think this is the, I mean, we can talk about this all day, but who cares unless we're actually talking about what do we do about this? Like what, what difference does this make in our communities and, uh, in our individual lives? Um, and I think part of that is going to be like why we don't have to be so scared of demons. Um, nobody in scripture is scared of demons. We don't need to be scared of them either. We can acknowledge that it is a reality, um, but it's not a fear that we should have. So then what should we be afraid of? Because fear, mm -hmm. fear is a healthy uh, thing for us to have. So, so that and more. Great. Well, I think it's going to be really, really helpful. I'm excited to chat more about this. Again, I keep using the term excited. That may not be the right, the right term, but I think it's a really helpful topic that not many people have really dug deep into, at least not that I have seen. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. Um, a little bit of a preview into the next episode. We're actually going to talk about good. Um, what is good? How do we think differently about good than we do about evil? There's like some some different ways that I know you're going to kind of dissect our thinking about like, why do we think differently about good than we do about evil? Mm. What's the reason behind this? So really encourage you to join us for episode two. It's going to be really, really good. Uh, we're excited to, yeah, to get season two rolling. We'll it's okay to be excited about okay. like clarifying <laughs> our thinking, getting right. alongside the biblical authors and thinking like them. So. Great. Well, excitement is here and we are excited to see you guys in episode two then. Thanks for listening to season two of Discover Your Roots, The Problem of Good and Evil. To find more resources like this, subscribe to our newsletter at passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. Again, that's passagesisrael.org forward slash foundations. You can also follow us on social media and learn more about Israel and the Bible at Passages Israel. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Until next time, I'm Matana DeWitt. Thanks for listening.